Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Monday, October 7th, 2019. And Christmas came early today, Drew. Did you get to see the, the trailer for Klaus? I did. I loved it. I thought it was really something. I, I agree. I mean, face it, you and I have been talking about this project for a while now, which is supposed to be Netflix's first original animated feature. And I think anyone who's listened to the show knows we've, we've talked about Sergio Pablos. The, the, he's the gentleman who's uh, directed this one. He's the co-creator of the original Despicable Me. And while he worked at Disney, he uh, helped animate Hades for Hercules, Tantor for Tarzan, and and my favorite, Dr. Doppler from Treasure Planet. And based on uh, the stuff that's featured in this trailer, he still has a gift when it comes to for tightly wound, kind of neurotic characters. Um, mm-hmm. So, all right, just to give folks a rundown on the, the, the story points here. You, well, you see a lot of that, that, that kind of tightly wound in, in Jesper, who's uh, the character that Jason Schwartzman is, is voicing. Um, yes. Okay, as, as I understand it, uh, the setup here is uh, Jesper is a recent graduate of the Postal Academy, and this story looks to be set, what, uh, 1800s, thereabouts? Yeah, seems about right, yeah. Okay, and so, anyway, uh, Jesper is a recent graduate from the Postal Academy, which is a relatively new idea, mail delivery, and since he graduated at the bottom of his class, he's assigned to this frozen island above the Arctic Circle, uh, where he then has to persuade... The residents of, I want to get this name right, Mirensburg, uh, which is supposedly the unhappiest place on earth, to let him start delivering their mail. And so Jesper's going around town. He's introducing himself to the ill-tempered residents of Mirensburg. And while he does that, he encounters Klaus, who is this big, burly, mysterious carpenter who lives in the outskirts of town in a cabin full of handmade toys. And Desper and Klaus, who's voiced by J.K. Simmons, uh, I guess not in J. Jonah Jameson mode, more sincere right. uh, for this one. Uh, they strike up an unlikely friendship, and Jesper offers to help Klaus deliver his handmade toys to the children of Mirzenberg, with the hope that it will then get the residents of this frozen town to, to warm to the idea of regular mail delivery. And you and I have talked about this, but it's always a little dangerous to judge an entire film on a two-minute-long trailer, but I have to admit, I, I, it, this has a really, it has strong design, uh, like the overall look of it. Uh, sounds like it's got a killer voice cast. I mean, John Cusack, or excuse me, Joan Cusack, mm-hmm. uh, Norm MacDonald, uh, Rashida Jones, and I, I just, it, it also kind of has a nice left-handed sense of humor, at least the stuff they use for the trailer. So, so, uh, I have to ask, are you going to catch this in theaters when it drops? On, on yeah, the I'm going to try. Yeah. I mean, what, I, what what most struck me about the look of the movie, too, is it seems to sort of embody that 2D, 3D look that Paper Man did that Disney mm-hmm. never quite uh, translated to a feature. But remember when they were trying it out for Moana and it just didn't it didn't work? Yeah. Um, so yeah. it. It seems like a real triumph of design, and mm-hmm. I, yeah, I cannot wait to see it. It looks really terrific. Okay. I, I guess my one hesitation is, I, I mean, I get it's a holiday story, so the, 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 the palette will brighten 
toward the end and face it that you know, Mearsenburg is supposed to be the happiest place on earth. So there's a lot of blues and grays, you know, early on in this thing. But uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll wait and see where it goes from here. Speaking of interesting clips, did you see the the Owl House clip that's that's making the rounds that came out of uh, New York Comic Con this past I week? I did. I thought that was really cool. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I I have to admit, though, I'm kind of intrigued as to the Disney promotion plan here because, uh, well, face it, what was it? San Diego Comic-Con. They showed us the title sequence and, you know, you got to hear the theme song at the same time. Right. Uh, we, we get this first clip uh, where we get to meet Luz and the rebellious Wichita and... And it was interesting to see King in action. Now, the, mm-hmm. the, this is the character that Alex Hirsch of, of Gravity Falls is voicing. Is that correct? Yes. Um, yes. Okay. I, it's going to be interesting to go into the Disney store and, and see this plush. Because uh, it's what? He's a, he's a warrior cat. A tiny little cat who wears a skull for a helmet. Um, right. I think he's some kind of demon or something. But okay. yeah. Yeah. All right. But but no, I, I again, you know, Wendy Malik voicing Ida and of course Alex uh, voicing King. Love the writing, the notion of uh, you know, I particularly love the gag of you know, all of the mythology in our world uh, came leaked over from their world, including giraffes. You know, we got rid of those freaks, right? You know, uh, again, it, 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 this seemed to have a lot of potential, and um, I don't know if you saw also over on YouTube. Uh, they have also the animation up for the animation that's going to run under the credits at the end of each episode. No, I didn't see that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, same thing. It's just good, solid stuff, wonderful design. And and I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised, given the three animation studios that Disney's parceled this out to. So we've got uh, Rough Draft. They did, what, Phineas and Ferb and Gravity Falls for Disney. They're also doing uh, Big City Greens now. Yeah, although I think that there's there's three studios that are divvying up the animation on this one. Oh, no, which, that's, that's it. it, it yeah. Exactly. There's, uh, what is it, Summon Image Pictures, uh, who did OKKO, OK Let's Be Heroes, and Infinity Train for Cartoon Network, and then Sugar Cube, mm-hmm. um, who I guess picked up... Star versus the Forces of Evil uh, in the middle of season two and then did all of season three of that Disney Channel show. So I guess given what Disney just did, given that the L.A. uh, Comic-Con is happening this uh, this coming weekend, October 11th through the 13th at the L.A. Convention Center, it'll be interesting to see if anything comes out of that, you know, whether or not we get yet. You get another set of breadcrumbs right. for Owl House. You uh, do kind of you do kind of understand from that clip though why it, it was because it was supposed to premiere with Amphibia mm-hmm. um, this past summer, and you can kind of see why they didn't do that because there are some very striking similarities between the two series that I I, I think if you watch them back to back maybe it would be overwhelming in some way. So I think it was probably a smart idea why that they kind of pushed it back a little bit. That's that's an intriguing observation, and you're right. You know, just looking at the strong design for Amphibia, uh, and you know, again, female protagonist. Um, okay, no, I can see that. Maybe. Uh, all right, that explains a lot about. Because face it, I think you and I have talked about where is Owl House? Why are we waiting? Um, yeah. Um, 
Okay, let's see. What what other news? Oh, God, the, the Dean Dubois, who now now suddenly director, a co-director of Lilo and Stitch in the original uh, How to Train Your Dragon, and then you know was was the you know sort of the solo guy in charge for the the last two installments of that DreamWorks franchise. And what was it? I think on our last show we talked about how he'd scored Micronauts, a, a live mm-hmm. action feature at. at for Paramount and Hasbro, and, and just this past week, he landed a live-action version of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. High on the list of things that we'll never actually see the light of day, I don't think. You think? Uh, I don't um, think so. I mean, it's got, it's, you know, the interesting thing for me is it, it's got Todd Lieberman and David Hoberman, who were at Disney forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they did the Shaggy Dog redo with Tim Allen, uh, they did, uh, you know, again, you know, these are not all amazing films, folks. You know, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, uh, they were also the two Muppet movies, uh, what was it, uh, 2011's The Muppets and 2014's Muppet Most Wanted. And the the gentleman who's doing the screenplay for Treasure uh, Island, Evan Spielopoulos, oh, I'm, I'm mangling that name. Uh, okay, but... <laughs> Um, uh, he, he's the guy who did the, the, the script for the live action Beauty and the Beast and, mm-hmm. and more to the point, Todd and David also did the live action Beauty and the Beast for Disney. So y- you kind of think, especially since they left Disney, uh, it's like a kind of interesting story here that they, you know, again, they made a billion dollar movie, billion dollar for Disney and still went over to Universal after years and years, their their production company, Mandeville Films. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly they went over there because at the new Disney, uh, the hard reality was between Marvel and Pixar and Lucasfilm and Walt Disney Animation Studios, it was just harder and harder to get a decent release date. That, you know, there were all these, you know, the, the way they described it, they were silos of, of other IP and it was just sort of like we'd like to have a good weekend for our project and it's like well you know they're taken for the next four years so right uh, they had to literally move over to Universal and I just for me you know to sort of keep in the business and just kind of interesting to, to you know work with the screenwriter that they'd had success with at Disney and uh, you know here's a, a former you know Disney guy who you know now DreamWorks and I don't know. I get what you're saying. In fact, you know, priority number one obviously has to be Micronauts because that's that's got a locked in release date at this point, uh, June fourth, two thousand twenty one, if I'm remembering right. And did you look at, at Evan, whose last name you cannot pronounce his yes. history? You know, he wrote the Jungle Book two, Lion King one and a half, Pooh's Heffalump movie, Tarzan two, wow. Cinderella three. Like these are all. This is where he kind of got his. Uh, his beginnings, you know, okay. which is kind of interesting. Well, you know, and and remember, at, toward the end, there were a number of these home premieres that were actually pretty good, <laughs> you know, as opposed to the naked cash grab. I don't know what what is what is your thinking about this sort of thing when a, when a guy who's really good at animation goes over and and does live action. I mean, just earlier this year, we had Travis Knight. You know, the big guy at Leica do Bumblebee. I mean, yeah. In fact, that, that was also for Paramount, wasn't it? Or Yeah. Yeah, so they, they, they know what's going on. And and didn't Travis Knight get a new job, too, uh, um, while we're on the subject? 
Yes, he's doing Uncharted, the video game movie. Which, again, will never see the light of day if, if production is any <laughs> is, indication. Is, is that another pirate project? Or? No, it's kind of, he's kind of like a modern day um, James, not James Bond, Indiana Jones. And it's uh, Tom, Ho- Tom Holland is playing the character. Oh, that's so, right. That's yeah. Right. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, what's interesting about Dean is that he had a bunch of live action movies in the pipeline. Oh, God, you're right. Oh, my you God. Know? What was the one... Not the Hobgoblin, the... Um... He had one called Lights that sounded really cool. That was sort of a new Amblin-y mm-hmm. thing. Um, okay. But he... So this is a guy who wanted to do live action in the past and, in fact, directed a um, sort of concert movie for Sigur Ross, um, mm-hmm. uh, the Icelandic pop band. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, he developed a movie called The Lighthouse, a, mm-hmm. a movie called The Banshee and Finn McGee. There we go. That's and a movie the, called yeah. Sightings. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these were, I mean, the Banshee and Finn McGee was for Disney. Mm-hmm. The Lighthouse was for Touchdown. And mm-hmm. Sightings was for Universal. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like this is, this is like more overdue than a switch in gears, basically, because he's had, you know, he's wanted to do this for so long. But yeah, he's a real animation legend, you know, worked mm-hmm. on like Don Bluth movies back in the day, including Thumbelina and a Troll in some Central Park. So mm-hmm. his, his CV is pretty... Pretty storied, yeah. Okay. Earlier this week, uh, I want to say it was TBS or TNT, you know, you're channel surfing, and and here's John Cotter of Mars. And, you know, and I, and I stopped for about, you know, five, ten minutes, and it was well into the film. That I think this is the scene where, you know, the John Cotter character gets to meet uh, Tars Tarkas, the, the character that William Defoe did, Motion Capture, and... You know, it's it wasn't terrible, and I think that's the thing that that I I think Andrew Stanton had a genuine passion for this material, and uh, you know there were individual scenes that really held well together, but there just didn't seem to be a movie there. Well, when you think about all the years that people tried to get this Edgar Rice Burroughs story turned into a you know a, a full length feature film. And the interesting thing is Andrew goes back, does uh, Finding Dory, and do do we know what he's up to now? I mean, No, I mean, he co-wrote Toy Story 4, the movie that you've never seen. Um, <laughs> so I'm assuming that he's still at Pixar. Um, mm-hmm. I saw him at the premiere but did not say hello or say, what are you working on now? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm assuming he's just sort of uh, developing things there, but... You know, we have no idea what the the Pixar slate is after Soul, so well, TBD on that one. Well, interesting you bring that up, because while we don't necessarily know much about Disney's animated slate after Raya and the Magic Dragon, or excuse me, The Last Dragon, just this past week we had Walt Disney Animation Studios through Variety announce that They've selected four uh, filmmakers to work on original content for the studio. And uh, some of these choices, to me, Drew, made sense. I mean, Josie Trinidad, I mean, she's been at Disney since 2004. and She's uh, amazing. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, she oversaw the story team on our Outbreaks Internet uh, you know, last year and Zootopia back in 2016. And uh, likewise, Mark Smith, uh, he's the story director on Frozen 2. Uh, and... Uh, he's been with Disney. He was in, started as an intern back in in ninety three, and 
me personally, I, I love when Disney does this, when, you know, people like Paul Briggs, who's been in story forever at the studio, get their shot. I mean, uh, Paul, yeah. along with Dean Wellens and, and John Rippa are, are working on Rhea and The Last Dragon, whereas Carlos Lopez Estrada and Susie Yunsi, um mm-hmm. Well, Susie's not exactly an unknown quantity. She did that, um, what is it? Daphne and Velma. Daphne and Velma, yeah, for a Warner's Home Entertainment last year. and Which uh, is pretty pretty good. I don't know if you ever saw it. Well, that, that's the thing. Everyone talks about, you know, for a prequel to, you know, the now 50-year-old Scooby-Doo franchise, it, you know, surprisingly entertaining home premiere. And, you know, Jennifer Lee, on the other hand, you know, speaks very highly of these. She says, Carlos and Susie are two incredible inventive filmmakers who both received acclaim for their work. We are so thrilled to have these four talented artists join our 96-year-old studio. Um, okay, that's D23. Okay, all right, I'll buy that. Uh, 96-year-old <laughs> studio as directors and help us with the stories of our future Adventures in a completely original world, stories from around the globe, and our next generation of musicals. And I, I guess today... Well, you're bearing the lead that Carlos and Susie are not Disney animation people. Well... They're, it's the first time they've really taken outside filmmakers and brought them into the studio. Out, mm-hmm. Outside filmmakers who are not versed in animation either. It's not like Pixar bringing in Brad Bird from Warner Brothers. These are people who do not have an animation background coming into the studio and making features, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. I mean, there's never been anything like this. You heard stories about, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson visiting Pixar in the 90s and stuff like that, but, I mean, this is really, this is really crazy. No, 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 I I, I agree, I agree, and you're right, buried the lead there, but, but, but at the same time, if you think about what is an animated film... These days, I mean, you know, think about the Russo brothers and how much of Avengers Endgame was animated, you know. Yeah. With, you know, I mean, I, I feel like the lines have really blurred. So, you know, necessarily bringing in talent like this that hasn't necessarily, you know, done what a Paul or, you know, for that matter, Josie has done. You know, just literally risen up through the ranks and learned the whole pipeline and the discipline. But at the same time, it's just, you're right. It, it's one of these things where it's like, okay, so that's interesting that they got a seat at the table. And you, Susie, you look at her bona fides, and like I said, Daphne and Velma and the, the work she did for Funny and Die, it's like, okay, all right, I, I could see that, you know, and it's like, I guess now I got to do my due diligence and go back and see what Carlos worked on because. Disney saw something. They they, they invited him in. And well, the interesting thing about Carlos is that Blindspotting, his movie from last year that was a big hit at Sundance, but didn't do too much box office. Um, it was sort of a new musical. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of an interpretation of what a musical is, and I think that that will be really interesting to see that kind of applied. Because I think, I think she even says something in her statement. She says, mm-hmm. yeah, the next generation of musicals. And oh. to me, that's... That's what Carlos is going to do. He's going to bring some really fresh energy into that realm. So, yeah. This is why I love doing this podcast with you. You you catch that stuff. Okay. um, Well, and and the other reason I love doing this podcast with you because you you get to sit down with such amazing people. And, in fact, when we get back uh, from this commercial break, uh, we're going to get to hear the interview that, that Drew did 
with Jennifer Lee, Chris Buck, the, the directors of Frozen and Frozen 2, and also Peter Del Vecchio, the producer of those two films. And we're back. Um, all right. So, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm working the fingers and toes here. So it's been six years since the original Frozen debuted back in November of 2013. Correct. Um, which, you know, the irony is it seems almost as long since we've gotten a new Rick and Morty. So it got, does feel that way. It, it does. does it way. does. But it turns out the final episode of season three aired on uh, Adult Swim uh, back on October 1st, 2017. And so just today, before we got started here, the, the new trailer dropped. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I love the catchphrase on this one, half the season you deserve, because what, we're only getting five episodes? Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's kind of ironic, because was it? In May of last year, they signed that huge deal where they got a renewal for what seventy episodes? Yeah, uh, when that when that seventieth episode will come, uh, I think you and I both might be dead. But you know, whatever. Mm. <laughs> well, I, do you? Uh, I have to ask. Do you do you see this as kind of the Netflix influence? I mean, we were just talking last week about Disenchantment and. You know how that what they had the first season of of twenty episodes that they broke up into two ten episode segments and and mm-hmm. then they got the you know with the twenty episode renewal or for that matter what they they're doing with the the sixth and final season of BoJack splitting it in half. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it might be more about like what they are doing with Primal. If if Rick and Morty is coming back for, it'll be interesting to see if they're coming back for five weeks. Or five mm. consecutive nights, like they're mm-hmm. doing for Primal, mm-hmm. um, and like what they did with Infinity Train. So I have no idea, you know, what laws of marketing and programming are going to govern this. But it's really interesting to think about, and it really sucks that there's only five. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to put it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you had three years, over three years, and you have five episodes. I know mm-hmm. that these are very complicated to make and animate, mm-hmm. but. Come on, guys. Like, now, Just so you know, folks, the, the first episode or this programming event, whatever it is, uh, starts on November 10th, uh, 1130 in Adult Swim. Do you have your DVR set up to record Primal, by the way, Jim? Because I know you're not staying up until midnight. I, well, you know, it's so funny you say that because that, that's just today. You know, I, I had to go check to catch the latest Robot Chicken, which it, it ran last night. So, yeah, I, I, I will, as soon as we wrap here, I will go set up for Primal. Um, speaking of new animated series, you got to see Bless the Hearts, right? The, the yeah, new I've only watched the first show, but I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. What did you think? I, I really liked it. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't crazy about the animation style, mm-hmm. especially because I know that it's from Titmouse, who does, like, amazing animation. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really liked it. It definitely gives me those kind of, like, King of the Hill vibes. And I guess at one point it was confirmed that it actually exists within the same universe as King of the Hill. No, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay. um, So I hope that they cross over at some point. Well, that, uh, that's kind of interesting because Emily Spivey, the woman who created it, uh, actually started out working on King of the Hill. In fact, uh, she then went from uh, working on that show to, she spent, what, almost 
10 season working at Saturday Night Live. She was there from 2001 to 2010. And which I guess kind of explains how Christian Wig and Maya Randolph, you know, or assume Brian Rudolph ended up in the voice cast. But yeah, the, the, supposedly the show is somewhat autobiographical. Uh, Spivey mentions that it's based on her life growing up in High Point, North Carolina. You know, I mean, it's got some high powered people behind it. I mean, you know, it, it, I was kind of intrigued to see Christopher Miller and Phil Lord listed as the producers. Yeah. Uh, but I guess we have to talk about the most controversial aspect of the show, and that is Jesus, who is a character in the show. Right. Uh, well, she know. works She works at kind of a religious-themed restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. What is the restaurant called? Oh, I am I am blanking the name, but, but Jesus steps out of a painting on the wall, or at least that's what yeah. they establish in the first episode, and... I, I I kind of enjoyed this take on, on Jesus. It, you know, yeah. he, you know, I mean, he makes a, you know, well, I work in mysterious ways, you know, and, you know, and then how he ropes in Colin Powell to, to fix the story point is a little strange, but um, yeah, I, I, this is one that, you know, I kind of hope actually somewhere down the line gets a 70 episode renewal that the, the first one was very promising and, you know, just be kind of interesting to see if there is, you know, if there's more show there. We'll have to see, circle back on this one. And let's face it, you know, other shows have, have included Jesus as, as a character. In fact, well, hell, the, the, the thing that introduced South Park to the world was, have you ever seen that George Clooney Christmas card thing that started the show? Yes, the spirit of Christmas. Yes, where yes. where yeah. Santa and Jesus are duking it out for the the boy's affection. Yes, I love it. You know, I mean, I, I, for me, you look at that today, and and you 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 hear the stories about you know it's paper cut animation and how long it took them to do and right and all that. It's hard to imagine that from that. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's still very funny. But it's hard to look at that and figure that 23 seasons later, here we are with with South Park, and it still manages to have some bite. Did you catch the episode uh, just this past week, uh, Band in China? I did not, no. Oh, oh. you know, it, it's kind of a must-see for Disney fans because for various reasons, Randy, uh, that Stan's dad, ends up in a Chinese work camp where he discovers himself working side by side with Winnie the Pooh and Piglet, who've been, you know, thrown in there because I, 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 you know, I don't know how many of you follow the, the Chinese president is very sensitive when it comes to Winnie the Pooh because he's been compared to looking like Winnie the Pooh. And so that character has kind of disappeared uh, in the Chinese market. (laughs) And there's this amazing scene toward the end of the episode where it's, basically a very ticked off Mickey Mouse in a room full of, of Disney characters, Anna, Elsa, Captain Hook, along with all of the Marvel characters. And he's basically dressing down all the characters in no uncertain terms about, you know, we, I want to be in this market. And if the Chinese people want to censor us, I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's, I will have to watch it, Jim. I will have to watch it. All right, and I, and Toy Story Two comes out on on Blu-ray and DVD tomorrow. I promise. By the time you get back from Orlando, I will have 
purchase it, watch it, and we can finally discuss this. Okay, you know, great. Length. So great. But before that, uh, we promise, folks, uh, your interview with the the creative team at Frozen. And what I love about this interview is that you actually get them to acknowledge that you know because you sat down with them back in 2013 for the first Frozen film. Yep. And face it, they were exhausted. You know, they, I mean, they had just managed to get that film done. Oh uh, yeah, you know, and uh, and it it had been a brutal production process, and and then what happens with Frozen? You know, it becomes not just a a hit film, but this thing, this this you know, consumer products engine and a Broadway musical and things for the parks and that sort of thing, and and. What's kind of interesting is you get them to talk about the fact that, okay, so it's this machine, but that's not really how they found the story for this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll appreciate how kind of uh, forthright I am about mm-hmm. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they talk about it in a really organic way. They avoid my question about what's going on with Marshmallow and the Snow Geese. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm really happy with the way this interview turned out and I hope everybody loves hearing from them. So I think, I think we should just seed it over to them and, and, uh, let them tell you about what it was like working on Frozen 2. We're keeping it alive. Yes. Good to see you. Great presentations today. Love the footage. Very eager to find out more about that salamander. No one's talking, but you know. No one's cracked. No one's cracked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brad Bird gave this great analogy when he was returning to Incredibles 2, that he felt like a football player who was returning to a field that had been played on by every team. <laughs> so I was wondering if there was any of that. Sounds like Brad. That's yes. very funny. It's a very Brad analogy, yeah. yes. But um, was there any of that sensation coming back to Frozen? I mean, just in the sense that it had expanded so much in between features and become sort of a machine in and of itself <laughs> I mean it was more um, it was more exciting yeah. than it was uh, exhausting or anything like that Okay, we love these characters and so much of these characters or us in these characters right. um, so we wanted you know once we decided that uh, well we'd seen the short or we'd been working on the short we saw our characters come to life again we looked at each other and went mm-hmm. oh my god I miss these characters mm-hmm. That was the beginning of it. And then we just, from there, we started talking about ideas. We were inspired by certain things, inspired by our own kids and their journeys and people, you know, college age. What's that next step for all our guys? And that just got the ball rolling. There were lots of things that were were happening, and we just went, oh, my gosh, there's just so much more story to tell. And you, you know, there's one thing you talk about with even Elsa, Elsa and Anna, We'll go ahead with the the first movie oh. where you're saying you only took it so, so far with her. Yeah, I I only am both of them. It's it's as we were laughing because as you as you do, do these uh, meet with people, you begin to remember things that you hadn't thought of, um, and just the, with Elsa. Um, I had been so focused on a character who's different and full of fear and being um, ostracized because of fear and. She never for a moment, except for like those couple of minutes of playing with her sister, was able to to know what it felt like to be accepted for who you are. So I'd never thought past that moment. And with Anna, I, it was a, uh, she was so fearless because she had nothing to lose. And at the end, um, 
she's accepted and she has everything. And now she's accepted, but she has never experienced that either. And the idea of why she has powers and how does she live in this world now that it's accepted her? Does she even fit in this world? That started brewing. And then Anna, now what do you do when you fought so hard for everything? Now you have everything to lose. Right. And that changes you. And so <coughs> reacquainting with these two women um, post all they had fought so hard for, and the, the, it made them more vulnerable in some ways. It made them uh, stronger in others. That was really, I, I say fun. It was difficult <laughs> and overwhelming, but that was the fun that part where the, you knew there's a lot of meat left yeah. to, right. to, to dig into, you know. Was there any fear of explaining too much? I mean, obviously we have seen only a small fraction, but uh, mm-hmm. as we learn from the Star Wars prequels, sometimes you don't need to know how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that is the whole that is the whole impetus that or one of the sort of cruxes yeah. of this new movie. How did you kind of like walk that fine line? Did you yeah. look to anything for inspiration? We did debate that a lot. Um, how do we want to know? Yeah. Um, we love the question. Do, is, is it answerable? Should it be answerable? Mm-hmm. Can't tell you whether it is or not. Right. Except to say, I think the part that really got us excited with the decision we made for how we end the film is rooting it again in these two girls and in family. And the minute we do that, the minute it's grounded in them, um, yeah. The answer, the answer to us, I think, feels very satisfying. Right. So I think that was how, as long as we kept it really emotionally connected to them, um, it suddenly became fine to me what we chose to do. Yeah. But yeah. I hope it's the right decision. That's well. What, you know. I mean, you bring up an interesting thing too that that I feel like when you guys finished the first movie, you were just kind of like Sustain. we got it yeah we it's it's in it's mm-hmm. pretty much finished and people are going to watch it now We're done. but now this you are embarking on something that obviously exists outside of the movie and feeds into all of these different things yeah. uh, is there i mean are you looking forward to future stories i mean i i mean Jen, you are obviously also running this <laughs> building, so that's a, that's another concern. Um, but I mean, I gotta you, go fix the pipes. Yeah, yeah. She's looking forward about. I was gonna tell you about the men's room. Is yeah. back up. Um, but you know, is that is that a concern? Is that something that you have mapped out future installments? No. Okay. No. We have not just, okay. yet again. We have not thought past right. the conclusion of this film. Technically, um, we haven't even finished this. That's film. true. We and, and for me, I'm looking forward to taking a break from writing. I've been writing pretty much straight for seven and a half years. And yeah. that is a, um, probably, for me, the most exhausting part of the process. And when she says writing, she's up at five in the morning writing it's or earlier today. or whatever. No. Um, I'm, I'm looking <laughs> forward to giving notes and helping others yeah. versus receiving all the notes and executing. So I'll take a breath no matter what. We took a break after the first one and then it'll tell us, I guess in some ways, I guess the, the, we joke the, the answer was very easily about a week ago. No! We're done! And then now we start to, we'll see where we are in a year. Right, because exactly. we know we'll miss them and we love these characters, but it'll only be if, if something stop, starts gnawing at us. We'll know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie, like the production seems to be pretty unusual in terms of the kind of cross-pollinization of uh, departments and in terms yeah. of where those departments are coming in because you have characters that are also mm-hmm. visual effects and backgrounds. That, yes, you know, yes. I mean, maybe you challenges can, at them. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe you can speak to this, Peter, but, the, but was it... Was it difficult kind of orchestrating all of that? Um, 
No, I, I think the, the hard part was the story kept evolving, and so we kept putting more and more challenges uh, in front of the crew. Okay. The, the crew is the same crew we made with the first movie with, and they, like us, these characters, these stories are real to them, and every time they saw the movie getting stronger, they were very eager to take on the challenge uh, uh, of it. So. It is very technically complex, but the studio keeps getting better. Technology keeps getting better, and they're able to even surpass surpass uh, uh, what we thought they could do. Yeah, I have to true. say, there's one thing from this movie that is unique for me is that um, because of what you said, this um, uh, there's so much cross pollination between the departments. Oh. We don't even know what we've got really with some of the scenes until the very last, until it's lit. Mm-hmm. And then we go, oh, wow, Usually it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and we go, that's amazing. But, uh, and what's coming out right now are still sort of surprises because some of that, the character is working with people working with the effects department, and sometimes it doesn't even really get. Uh, realized until it's lit. Right. So you go, oh, wow. We're, so, we're in a situation right now where... I've never been on a movie quite like that. Yeah. So. We're in a situation right now where the most um, the most challenging scene of all, the one that um, requires the longest rendering time and the most it's the most complex one, uh, we were asked to save it for last so that the whole queue could be cleared. So this mm-hmm. enormous set piece we are seeing finally mm-hmm. lit. This week, whoa, yeah. So, so it is that thing of like there. We this yeah. set piece that we yeah. have been working towards for a very long time. We are finally seeing actualized this week. <laughs> wow, so, yeah. Well, you guys have time. I'm, okay, can I ask one very important question? We're gonna get some resolution with where Marshmallow and the Snowgies are. <laughs> I mean, this is keeping oh me up. I, I know I've texted Amy about this. This is this is a, uh, yeah, this is Peter, a we gotta talk so. about. We'll talk okay. about that. You will talk about we'll it. Talk You'll about address it. this at okay. some point. I want we'll the exclusive. Okay. Okay. I want the where is Marshmallow? Okay. Not. Uh, yeah, I know he's at Epcot, okay. but yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, again always enjoy that and now <laughs> i i want to know what scene this is that the big effect scene that you know they knew you know all the way through production was going to be the beast you know and yeah so you know and they still hadn't seen it when you were sitting down with them or no i guess not i mean i think that they were actually done with animation the day that i talked to them wow so okay. yeah all right yeah it's weird because just this past Friday, of course, was Triple Force Friday, which was this giant retail event at, you know, 500,000 uh, outlets around the country. And there was this also, what was weird is that piggybacking on that was the Frozen Fan Fest. And I, I have to tell you, I, I went out on Friday to a number of locations and watched little girls grab the blue plastic horse off the shelf and it's like, Mom, I want this. And it's like, and and the thing is that nobody knew what this character was, but it was a horse, and little girls wanted it. It's, it's the. Ooh, I know what it is. The water knock. The, yeah. yeah, the knock. You know, um, and and so what? All I've got so far is a, a mythical water spirit that takes the form of a horse. And correct. I, and I know you're pushing for the salamander, but but yeah. honestly, Drew, I watch little girls snatching up the knock and you know and running off with it but again you you've seen some scenes involving this character or all i know is yes. from the trailer yeah um, i saw a scene where where i think it's the first time elsa encounters 
uh, her where she, you see some of it in the trailer where she's kind of trying to get over this giant kind of, uh, you know, cresting wave and this horse is kind of beating her and, and not beating her, but, you know, preventing her from getting through. And it, it's a really amazing sequence. And again, like we talked about last week, you know, it blurs the line of the, you know, it's, it's an environment, but it's a character, but it's an animal, but it's a, you know, and, but it doesn't talk. And, you know, so it, it's a really interesting character. And I think that all the kind of elemental spirits that you're going to see in this movie are going to be really interesting. I mean, you know, we already had the elementals and Spider-Man far from home. This is a big theme with Disney this year, apparently. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. The footage I've seen is amazing. So I cannot wait to see the movie. Very cool. Okay. And we still have one more of the, these interviews that, that Drew did at the long lead. So we'll get to that on the next show. And, and more to the point when we get back, uh, get, you know, we're back with our, our next episode of fine tuning. Drew will be back from Orlando where you're headed out for uh, an event tied to, the Lion King, yeah, another the, movie that you haven't seen. Another the movie Lion I haven't. Th- yeah, again, yeah. I, I live in the woods, Drew. They're, they're, you know, under yes. a rock. You know, in fact, it, it's odd that you you keep talking about salamanders because those I see all the time. But you know, <laughs> but not movies. Yeah, um, I'm excited. I, I hopefully will be able to ride the um, you know the gondola, the uh, Skyliner. Hopefully, I'll be seeing Epcot forever. I'll be going to the. Uh, East Coast Batu and saying goodbye to Spaceship Earth and a lot of things. So I'll, I'll have a robust uh, trip recap when I oh, get back. Cannot wait, cannot wait. But of course, between now and then, are we getting anything new, Light the Fuse wise? Or oh yeah, every week we've got Light the Fuse interviews. Um, I forget who it is this week, but it's great. Whatever it is this week, it's great. You're gonna love it. Light the Fuse. Um, week your weekly injection of just. Wonderful Mission Impossible goodness. Okay. On the other hand, we also have here, uh, we've got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We've got Marvel Us Disney with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits a lot of the podcasts here. Uh, we've got Looking at Lucas with Dan Zare. We also have Universal Joint with Justin Fuchs. And uh, we also have I Want That, the Disney merch podcast with Michelle Valladolid. So tell you what, if you could do Drew and I a favor here. Uh, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend both Fine Tuning as well as Light the Fuse, that would be very helpful. And if you really like what you've heard here, if you could go over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that is, again, incredibly helpful. So, well, for now, let's finish up because Drew's got a pack for Orlando. Uh, hopefully this time next week we will have some stories more behind the scenes on you know, Mr. Favreau's take on, on Lion King. That's right. Until then, thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back soon.